0: From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on air. As children mature, they develop the capacity to make informed decisions about their health care. Developmental maturation allows, over time, for increasing inclusion of the child or adolescent's opinion in medical decision-making and clinical practice. When all parties agree on a specific plan for treatment, the path is clear. However, when the adolescent and or his parents uh, disagree with the recommended medical plan, things can get complicated. Here to discuss the legal and ethical principles surrounding this issue are two bioethicists from Upstate Medical University's Department of Bioethics and Humanities, Dr. Thomas Curran, who has also worked in neonatal intensive care, and Robert Olick, who also teaches courses in medical ethics and health law to medical students. Thank you both for being here. Oh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. So um, I, I know you've got a case that we want to talk about. What, what's the youngest age that someone can have a say? In their medical care.
1: Well, uh, it depends, okay. and uh, some uh, some adolescents are more mature than others. I am the father of three boys. I am told that girls mature more quickly. Uh, I can't refute that at this stage <laughs> of my life. The uh, so, in, but in general, in general, somewhere around the age of fourteen, uh, the kids are most kids are felt to have the ability to understand treatment options and their consequences. Uh, in order to wade through dis, uh, decisions. That being said, under the age of 18, your parents have ultimate decisional oh, authority. Okay. period. Right. But this is really uh, the interesting element to this from the, from the bioethical standpoint is uh, ideally, you can have a situation where the adolescent, the adolescents parents, and the healthcare team all agree on a plan that works for everyone. That's the that's the ideal situation. We tend to get involved when there's some disconnect between one of those three uh, groups. So it may be
0: the parents disagree with the child or...
1: Any of the three can disagree, disagree with it. Disagree the doctor. In the, in the case I'm gonna present, uh, there was a case in which the parents and the adolescent disagreed with the medical team oh. as to how to proceed. So this was a, a 15-year-old uh, boy who had a very curable form of leukemia. And standard therapy for this cancer consisted of um, having four cycles of chemotherapy that was subsequently followed by six weeks of radiation and at the end of the first portion of this the four cycles of chemotherapy the parents and the ch- the adolescent said that they did not want to pursue radiation so this was very concerning to the to the uh, to the medical team and just so just so people understand it in this type of cancer, if you have the chemotherapy and the radiation, you have a 95% chance of having five-year survival. So it's a very curable form of cancer. If you just have the chemotherapy and skip the radiation, you still have a 50% chance of having a five-year survival. And if the cancer reoccurs, you can have an additional bout of chemotherapy and additional radiation, and you'll still have an 80 to 90% chance of having 5 year survival. So the numbers are important okay. because everyone weighs what is reasonable to them. So in we were consulted by the the, the me- medical care team because they felt that they this child was being put in harm's way by not acquiescing to have the radiation.
0: What what was the reasoning for not wanting the radiation aside from the fact that nobody wants to have radiation if they don't need it, mm-hmm. but what were what was the family and the child?
2: Well, I think part of what they were thinking about was, um, obviously, both the prognosis and the risk-benefit um, discussion. Uh, and in that, it's important to note that the doctor plays a very key role in how the information is presented. You know, for example, is it a sixty percent chance of survival or a forty percent chance of not surviving? And there are some studies that show that the um, way that information is presented and the ordering of information that's presented to families and patients makes a difference in their decision making. Um, uh, But I think this is a case where you're also looking at a family and an adolescent patient who have had experience with the treatment, with the disease and with the treatment. Uh, And so in a sense, they are in a position to make more informed decisions about what potentially lies ahead for them and what the uh, benefits and, and drawbacks are because they've been through that experience uh, previously. And, and in this case, he was clinically
1: better.
0: After the chemo.
1: Chemo. I mean, he, he, he was back to his old self, mm-hmm. and the radiation is really done to elim- or minimize the chance of a recurrence. In addition to that, uh, they were part of a faith-based community, and they had pursued alternative medical therapy, holistic medicine, which we're, you know, totally supportive of, uh, and they felt that um, they would like to see how this all played out. Um, There was a, I don't want to say there was a distrust of uh, modern medicine, but they they certainly were open to various forms of therapy. Uh, And and so in, in this case, they were not, they were intelligent, they, they knew. They brought the numbers of the ninety-five percent and the fifty. They they had done, done the research. research. Okay. They were smart, and uh, and they also raised the question of, well, isn't it true that radiation can lead to cancer, the the therapy? And the answer is, it's rare, but yes. And so they were um, they were very thoughtful people. Then they. Uh, and, and they had done their homework, and I think when the, one of the first things that we wanted to check when we did the consult, we, we wanted to make sure that the parents and the, ch- and the adolescent were working together on this. So we felt it was very important to talk to each of them separately. You don't want to have coercion or, or, or any sort of, um, you want everyone to be speaking, freely speaking their mind. And when we talked to the, the, the son and the parents separately, it was clear that they loved each other deeply. Um, and they were very much a, a, a unit. So this was had nothing to do with that. We eliminated that whole element. Uh, and the other addition, the additional factor here, part of being a faith-based community, they were not did not accept um, aid from the state for medical treatment, which I had not, we had not previously considered. Mm-hmm. So that was something to mm-hmm. explore as well. What's the cost of this? That was you know what were, had
2: that was that something that they were concerned about. Yeah. so so to, to dive into some of the ethical legal dimensions uh of this sort of case a, a little bit more um so in this case that the parents and the child agreed um and that's where we hope these situations would be uh, rather than having them disagree um, as tom mentioned earlier um, the age of majority being 18 uh, an adolescent patient under 18 and the parents would have the authority to make decisions. But uh, with the teenage patient, we would uh, certainly want to know what the um, patient's own views were. Uh, and we would think about it in terms of sort of consent and assent. So we wouldn't look to the adolescent patient typically um, to have authority to make their own decisions, uh, but we want them to be in agreement. And especially in a case like this, where you're talking about Uh, radiation treatment which requires uh, very much the cooperation of the patient and willingness to come for visits and and go through that um, difficult process Um, you want them to be on board uh, with what the decision would be and in this case where some of the uh, values at stake and the beliefs uh, stem from a a certain faith-based community uh, we'd also I think want to explore uh, the extent to which the child agreed uh, with those beliefs uh, because we wouldn't want a situation where the parents were imposing uh, those sure. beliefs on the child uh, against their will and agreement.
1: And everyone's read about those sorts of cases where mm-hmm. children don't receive appropriate medical care because they're not brought to the appropriate um, facility when they're sick, and th- this is th- this is not that. Right. This case was entirely different from that. Yes.
0: So how did you um, talk with the physicians and, and providers so it's, about? So, it's,
1: so this is the, thing, the the really fascinating part about this case to me was that the physicians felt very strongly that not giving radiation was a failure to meet the standard of care, and and they felt that the family was being uh, was preventing that from happening. And in fact, they met as a group and the majority of their group felt that this was um, such a problem that they, would, they were considering invo- involving Child Protective Services, huh. which was, as the ethics consultant, uh, I was um, deeply troubled by this development uh, because it, to me, uh, Child Protective Services, A, is no magic bullet for anything, I'm glad it exists, but it, does, it's not, it doesn't magically fix things. A. B, this was a loving family unit. I mean, I just it seemed just incongruent to me that that, that would be. And so what we did, uh, we, when we identified that the, the, the cost factor might be an element, we suggested that they explore alternative um, funds that would be available to cover the cost of radiation, uh, just so that they knew it existed, the family. And we asked the uh, radiation oncologist to come and meet with the three of them for a second time and review um, the pros and cons of, radi- of the radiation therapies and how it would likely pan out. And so to take a step back, you try and flood the channels with information that will allow people to make... Because if, if you don't have all the information, you can't make an informed decision. That's critical. You have to know what the options are.
0: And it sounds like both, if you want to say both sides, the parents and the doctors, were wanting what they thought was going to be best for this patient.
1: They were absolutely, would have, they would have signed off on that one in a heartbeat. It just happened to be mutually exclusive plans. Right. right. And, the, and the third thing that we did in this case is we sought the opinion of a, another specialist in another state who treats the, this particular um, as a oncologist, pediatric oncologist, to say, is choosing between stopping at just the chemotherapy and holding off on the radiation, is that a reasonable option? That is to say, does standard of care include that treatment arm as well? And this oncologist from um, uh, another uh, Midwestern state said, yeah, I, I think that that would be a fair, it would be fair to wait and see. Or? It's reasonable. Huh. And so when you had a, so now all of a sudden you have two different medical group, medical viewpoints which are different but they they allow for variation in treatment that is that meets the standard of care that creates space to unring the children protect, child protective services bell and keep that off that would have been a terrible development and and also created space for the family to not feel like if you tell a family you're going to involve child protective services it's over. Your relationship is done. And so it, it eliminated that and allowed people to con- continue to talk. And uh, ultimately, the, uh, the was, I would say somewhat surprisingly to me, the family opted to do the radiation therapy. After all After that was said, huh. but, but, but it, it, you had to, in order for that to occur, we had to involve, you know, People from out of state, um, financial folks with alternative payment, th- uh, in all fairness, recognizing a faith-based community is, is, a, reason, is a, a perfectly legitimate point of view and, and honoring their... They, I, th- I got the sense that they felt like we were working with them. We understood them. We were working with them. We thought, yeah, I, I, we understand where you're coming from. And that created um, the opportunity to have very open and honest discussions with them.
0: And they got to make a decision rather than have something or feel like something was being forced.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and that, so from that point of view, that's a good outcome, that more information was provided, there was good discussion and communication, and they reached agreement, Um, and in this case, the agreement was to go forward with treatment, uh, which the uh, healthcare team certainly thought was in the best interest of the patient. Um, I think that the point about the um, additional physician consultant opining that it was reasonable not to do so uh, was important from another point of view as well, because we normally give parents very wide berth to make decisions for their children, because we assume that they act in the best interest of their kids, as as parents do the vast majority of the time, uh, and that they know their children better than anybody else, and you can ask the question, well, are there limits to that? So we don't want to say that parents can just make any decisions they want, regardless of the implications for their child. So sometimes we'll talk about the idea that um, we have a sort of a limit or a boundary of reasonableness. And when parents are acting unreasonably and the stakes are very high for the child, as they would be in this case, that that might be a justification for uh, not accepting the parent's decision. Uh, and seeking other recourse as per the suggestion that perhaps Child Protective Services should be called. But in this case, the parental authority was supported by an outside opinion that their uh, choice actually was reasonable within parameters of accepted medical standards.
0: How might this have been different if the uh, adolescent and the physicians were on one side and the parents were on the opposing side? Because the parents have the authority over the child,
2: right? Right. So um, that's where the, the ethical dilemma gets really pointed. Mm. And, and there are cases uh, like that. Uh, so um, what would happen in that case uh, would be the physician would have to uh, explore uh, further with the patient. Uh, the basis for their decision would start to form judgments about whether the patient Uh, was uh, capable enough and mature enough to make his or her own decisions. Uh, And then you'd be in a sort of a gray area, ethically and legally. So there are some areas where we, by law, recognize adolescent decision-making, separate and apart from their parents and without parental involvement that basically have to do with issues surrounding uh, sex and reproduction and pregnancy and mental uh, health mental health and HIV testing. But none of those fit here. So now you're asking the question whether the uh, you can recognize the patient as being mature to make their own decisions and have the autonomy to do that. Uh, and in some states, uh, you have to go to court for that. In other states, physicians have some authority to make their judgment themselves. Um, in New York, the situation is very murky, <laughs> um, perhaps not surprisingly. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so you would reach that judgment, but you would also have to look at the question of who to involve in the discussion because the patient in that situation, knowing that there's a disagreement with the parents, might not want to have that discussion with the parents or might not want the parents to know what their decision was. And uh, the general rule, sort of rule of thumb, is that confidentiality follows consent. So if you're looking to the patient to make the decision, that means the decision maker also has authority to control access to information, mm. um, so it can get very difficult. Interesting. Well, this has been a very
0: interesting case. Thank you both for this discussion. My guests have been bioethicists Dr. Thomas Curran and Robert Olick. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show HealthLink on Air.